Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen. Thunder rages outside, and there's a knock at the door. Through the rain-slicked window, you see a dark figure standing on the front landing. There's another knock at the door, and then a persistent banging. The figure will not be satisfied until you open that door. It is New Year's Eve, and depending upon where you live in the world, this figure, when it finally steps into the light of a flash of lightning, will reveal itself to be one of two hideous-looking creatures. In Wales, the monster standing on the stoop is Mari Lude. This is the gray mare. She appears as the skull of a mare, sheathed in white cloth and decorated with the accoutrements of flowers and ribbons. She is here to challenge you to a wassailing contest, and she is not alone. She is accompanied by mummers, and your terror drifts away as you realize that this is Halloween on New Year's Eve. This is a tradition that goes back hundreds of years and has been passed down as an oral tradition. Mari Lud, or Yifari Lud, actually translates to the Grey Mary, but more likely comes from the stem Mare rather than Mary. And Mare is also a part of the word nightmare, and here you have a Grey Nightmare. Mummers are merrymakers dressed in masks and costumes and with sailing is singing, and the verses that are sung are created anew every year. Now we know what they mean by here we go with sailing, right? Oh. Because this is an annual tradition, householders are able to prepare in advance the response to the verses that Marilud brings to their door. The creature is carried much like a puppet, 
The horse's skull is placed on a pole and then the puppeteer hides beneath the sackcloth or material. When the knock comes on the door, there are two options, reminiscent of trick-or-treating. Open up and present gifts of food and drinks like a treat, or take up the challenge of a singing match like a trick. Different areas carry on different variations of the custom, and most were conducted strictly by men as they got pretty chaotic. Revelers carrying on the way they did a couple hundred years ago would get them arrested today. Some villages featured itinerant singing mummer plays with the horse head as the star attraction. At another village, there may be just verbal jousting with the Mari Lude figurehead. And in other places, Mari Lude was out and out feared. Here's some sample verses of something that might go on when they're having these singing challenges. The first round, the Mari Lude party sings, Open your doors, let us come and play. It's cold here in the snow at Christmas tide. The householders reply, Go away, you old monkeys. Your breath stinks and stop blathering. It's Christmas tide. And on the second round, the outsiders, Our mare is very pretty, the Mari Lude. Let her come and play. Her hair is full of ribbons at Christmas tide. And then the householders, giving in, instead of freezing, will lead the Mari and sight amuse us tonight is Christmas tide. Or alternatively, householders repelling invaders thus, instead of freezing, take the Mari home. It's past your bedtime. Tonight is Christmas tide. So you could either let them in or tell them to get lost. And depending upon how they're singing, I guess that's how it would go. Now we travel to another part of the world. In Japan, this figure standing on the front stoop is Namahage. Although this creature is a hideous demon, it apparently is bringing good luck. The legend is that the Han Emperor brought five demonic ogres with him to Japan a little more than two millennia ago. These demonic ogres are called Oni in Japanese, and they reputedly stole crops and young women from the village of Oga in Japan. The villagers banded together to defeat the Oni, and they decided to plot a trick. They offered to give up all their young women if the demons could build a stone staircase of 1,000 stairs in a single night. But if the ogres failed to build the stairs all the way to the local temple, they would have to leave Oga forever. The challenge was accepted, and the Oni managed to get to stair 999. A villager crowed like a cock, and the ogres thought that the dawn had arrived, and they fled. Smart villager. And he must have been really good at sounding like a rooster. And now this legend is carried on as a custom. The Namahage are imitated by young men wearing demonic masks and traditional straw garments. They go around to all the houses and burst in searching for new community members. These members could be young children or new wives. The Namahagi are there to encourage good behavior, like obeying parents and in-laws. A throaty scream is used to make these requests. Other household members come to the rescue, vouching that the child or new relative is a good person. The demon is in a piece with sake and food. So we thought, since it was New Year's Eve, it would be fun to share a couple of the legends that actually pertain to the New Year's Eve holiday. And sometimes when it comes to the Mari Lude, it can go all the way to Epiphany, and it's on Epiphany when she will make her appearance. So if you hear a knocking on your door on New Year's Eve, probably don't open it, especially because it could be some drunk guy who doesn't know that he's at the wrong house. Exactly. (laughs) Of course, for some of you, you're probably going to go out to a bar. And as we know, a lot of bars out there are haunted. Yes, they are. There's lots of spirits besides the ones you'll probably be reveling in. 
And one of our listeners, Molly Don Farquhar, had suggested that maybe we look at either some ghostly bartenders or haunted bars. We did this when it came to Thanksgiving. We looked at some in the L.A. area. Well, we found a couple that are up in Washington State that we thought we would share with you on this special. And, you know, what is New Year's Eve without some talk of bars, particularly haunted bars? It might be a boring New Year's Eve. Of course, if you've had a lot of spirits to drink, you might think you're seeing a lot of spirits. So we won't give too much credence to some of your ghost stories that you might experience tonight. The town of Roslyn in Washington State is nestled in the Cascade Mountains. It came to fame through the television show Northern Exposure. And that's because that's where it was filmed. What many people probably do not know is that the city of Roslyn is quite the haunted little place. And there are a couple of bars here that back up that claim. But first, we need to look at the reason why we might have some hauntings going on here. So Roslyn was established as a coal mining town by the Northern Pacific Railroad in 1886. C.P. Brosius, Walter J. Reed, and Ignatius A. Nevere discovered the coal vein in 1883. Once the town was founded, men came from all over the world to work the coal mines. By 1900, 40% of the population was foreign-born. And very interestingly, many of the residents were black as well. A miner's strike over work hours caused the company to seek out black miners in other parts of America. Between 1888 and 1889, 300 black miners and their families were brought into Roslyn. After the strike, the white and black miners worked peaceably together, and the work was very dangerous. The Roslyn Sentinel of March 1, 1895 carried the following story about Roslyn's name. On the faraway shores of Delaware, midst the sand hills, peach orchards, and blue-blooded skeeters, nestles the little hamlet named Roslyn over a century ago. The hybrid people were of primitive stock. The daughters of these householders were the special objects of the devotion of many enterprising young men in the neighborhood. Now in this hamlet there lived a handsome, vivacious maiden who was particularly dear to the heart of a brave and sturdy young man who was penetrating the wild northwest in 1886 in search of fame and fortune. This gentleman was one of our early pioneers, and it became his lot to name this new mining camp. After mature deliberation, he christened the town Roslyn on August 10, 1886, after the town in which his loved one lived. The event was duly celebrated, and the name was placed on a board and inscribed with a pine cone. It was nailed to a large pine tree which stood near Patrick's business property. Whether Mr. Bullet later realized his hopes and love, we do not know. But if his affairs of heart were as fickle as Roslyn's fortunes, he had an interesting time. So basically, this guy was in love with a girl all the way across the country. And because she happened to live in this particular town, he named the new town after that town. Pretty cool way to get a name. Yeah, you've never named a town after me. Hmm. Denise Town, that's kind of boring, I was going to say, it sounds kind of weird. We'd have to do a weird derivative, Denise Berg. No, that doesn't even sound good. The dangerous work led to two separate explosions. In May of 1892, an explosion killed 45 men. Two of them were father and son, Joseph and Joe, who was not yet 20. In October 1909, 16 men were killed in mine number four. There was no warning, and the explosion was actually two separate eruptions that blew out windows up to half a mile away from the shaft. Now it would seem that two local bars harbor some of the spirits of the victims. These bars would be the Pioneer Restaurant and So Delicious Bar and the Brick Tavern. You know what's fun about that So Delicious name? 
My relatives in Missouri, that's what they call soda or pop or a Coke. They call it Sodi. Sodi. So I don't know if that's where they got the Sodilicious name for the bar. It's our understanding that the Pioneer Restaurant and Sodilicious Bar are now closed. The owner was Steve Ojurovic, and he was a fourth-generation resident of the town. His great-grandfather came over from Croatia to mine coal. The building had once housed the Pioneer Grocery Store, and it was a Sears and Roebuck before that. The name for the Sodilicious Bar came from the soda bottling company that once existed here and carried on some not-so-legal bottling during Prohibition. Secret underground tunnels helped facilitate the liquor running. One night, it is said, a man was snooping around and ended up shot down in those tunnels. According to Steve, the ghost of this man is seen in the basement. Steve said that he first saw the ghost there on the day he bought the place. It was a full-bodied apparition that he first noticed out of the corner of his eye. The spirit was a man wearing a blue plaid shirt and jeans, and he had a beard. He looked like a miner or logger. When Steve saw him, he first thought it was his dad, and he called out. The figure disappeared, and he searched the building. He was all alone. He went back to his work, and the spirit appeared again. There are other ghosts that have been reported at this location as well. A woman's ghost has been seen in a second-story window. She is wearing a white blouse with puffy sleeves, and her hair was pulled back and braided. The owner of the grocery store was named Edna, and she died in the building. Some suspect the spirit belongs to her. One terrifying experience that happened involved a wine bottle being lifted out of the rack and thrown across the room, smashing against a wall, just missing a waitress. That would be a little terrifying. The other bar, the Brick Tavern, is next door. The Brick, and as far as we know, it's still open. As locals refer to it, it is the oldest continuously running bar in the state. It was built in 1889. One of the unique features of this bar reminds us of our episode on Casey Moore's Oyster House. There is a running water spittoon, a vestige of the days when miners used it for spitting and for another purpose similar to the Blarney Stone restroom. You remember that, Denise? Um, yes, it had something to do with the wee. Yeah, and this would have been before women were allowed to be in the bar, I guess. <laughs> People think of it as a rite of passage to spit into the spittoon. The Brick Regatta is held each March. Residents make tiny homemade boats and race them down the spittoon. Of course, with the pee and the spit. <laughs> Lovely. Well, I assume those aren't in there at the same time as the boats, hopefully. Jim Lester owned the bar from 1982 to 1997, and Lucky Najar's family bought it in 1997. Both men claim that they and their employees have had supernatural experiences. Najar said that one of his bartenders was so freaked out by something that happened when he was working in the bar alone that he ran out and never came back. He also says that on one occasion, he took an armful of pool cues downstairs and laid them on a table. He went upstairs, but when he came back down, the cues were standing against the wall and the table. There are three ghosts reported here. One is a cowboy-looking entity, another's a little girl, and the third plays the piano backstage. And we have no idea why any of these people are here. Unless, of course, the, the cowboy is just dressed in that garb and he had been one of the miners. A bartender told author Leslie Rule that in 2003, he saw the little girl's ghost. He and a roommate shared an upstairs room where they also monitored the security cameras. One night, they saw movement on the camera, even though the bar was locked up tight. Then they saw a little girl looking at them, or rather, in the direction of the camera. She was as tall as the pool tables. His roommate ran to check the bar, and the bartender watched as the little girl hid behind a pool table. 
She then disappeared. He gave notice about living there, but still continued on as a bartender. And the thing that really creeped him out about it is he said it was almost as if she could see through the camera to them because she was running and hiding before his roommate even got down to the bar. So it's like she knew he was coming down there to look for her. Oh, geez, that's crazy. That That would would, freak me out. Yeah, that would way creep me out if it can see me through the camera. Then one night, he and a co-worker had a really chilling experience. They heard the sound of chopping wood coming from the basement. When they got down there, they found a wooden chair that had been chopped to pieces by what was probably an axe, perhaps a logger or miner's axe. Is this the same apparition as the one seen in the Pioneer restaurant? There are jail cells in the basement as well, and it is thought this was the miner's jail. Do these bars in Roslyn play host to ghosts in the afterlife? Are these bars haunted? That is for you to decide. I don't know, but seems like bars and jails and asylums, they all seem to harbor some of these lost souls. Possibly. I mean, I'm thinking with bars, not only do fights and stuff happen there, but a lot of people go there to drown their sorrow. So there's always a lot of emotional energy there, whether it's celebration or depression or whatever. And I don't know how Roslyn is set up, but I wonder how close many of these things are to the actual explosions that took place. And as we always wonder, it might not be that people died on that property from the actual explosion, but maybe they were injured and brought there and then they died. So they could have been harbored in some of these buildings and then they died while they were there hurt. Before we end this special, I wanted to share this really cute story that Miranda Goodman shared with us in the Spooktacular crew. I think you're going to really like this one, Denise. On the outskirts of a small town, there was a big old pecan tree just inside the cemetery fence. One day, two boys filled up a bucket full of nuts and sat down by the tree, out of sight, and began dividing the nuts. One for you, one for me, one for you, one for me, said one boy. Several dropped and rolled down toward the fence. Another boy came riding along the road on his bicycle. As he passed, he thought he heard voices from inside the cemetery. He slowed down to investigate. Sure enough, he heard, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. He just knew what it was. He jumped back on his bike and rode off. Just around the bend, he met an old man with a cane hobbling along. Come here quick, said the boy. You won't believe what I heard. Satan and the Lord are down at the cemetery, dividing up the souls. (laughs) The man said, beat it, kid. Can't you see it's hard for me to walk? When the boy insisted, though, the man hobbled slowly to the cemetery. Standing by the fence, they heard, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. The old man whispered, boy, you've been telling me the truth. Let's see if we can see the Lord. Shaking with fear, they peered through the fence, yet were still unable to see anything. The old man and the boy gripped the wrought iron bars of the fence tighter and tighter as they tried to get a glimpse of the Lord. At last they heard, one for you, one for me. That's all. Now let's go get those nuts by the fence and we'll be done. They say the old man had the lead for a good half mile before the kid on the bike passed him. (laughs) Guess he wasn't hobbling anymore. (laughs) Wanted to make sure. What do you always say, Denise? Our niece and nephew were visiting from North Carolina And there was an alligator that was down by this pond. And our nephew wanted to go down and look at it. So Denise took him down to go look at it. And what did you say, Denise? Well, so I I made sure, because first I went down to take a picture of the alligator. But then I came back and he kept looking. So I asked him if he wanted to go down and see it. And he said yes. 
And so I told him to stay behind me because I wanted to be the barrier in case it started moving. Because gators might look like they're just laying there, but they can go from zero to 30 pretty quick. So anyway, we were um, there. And then this guy comes walking up and he walks like right up within a foot maybe of the alligator. We were staying a healthy distance away. He walks up and he goes, oh, look at it. So have you made it hiss yet? And, da, 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 da. and he's just kind of walking around the gator. So I just told my nephew, Peyton, you're going to be okay because we just have to be able to run faster than that guy. So that's the moral kids. Just be faster than the other guy and you're fine. Exactly. All right. Well, we want to wish you all a very safe, be careful out there when you're having fun, New Year's Eve. And we will be back tomorrow for New Year's Day. We have another special for you. We're going to introduce our ambassador program and talk about some changes that are coming to the show and the year that we have ahead and other fun stuff. So hopefully you can join us for that. And maybe some of our meetup opportunities for 2017. Yes, we're going to have some. And I, it sounds like we're going to start getting quite a few people joining us in Alton. So we'll get the details out about that, too, because tickets will be on sale very shortly. want to thank you guys for joining us for this special. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This special has been brought to you by our executive producers. Thanks.